Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Our first reading is from Isaiah 52, 7 through 10. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Listen. Your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And now a reading from Luke 19, verses 28 through 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it. And bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, Even you, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an indictment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Thank you, Lord, for these words. I'd like to begin with a story. Um, Going back to the summer before my sixth grade year, uh, the, the... vacation that my family went on, it, we went up to Maine for a week, and we bounced around different different parts of Maine, And uh, but early in that week, we, we were at a campsite by Lake Moxie, and yeah, we were, we were camping there, and they had kayaks and canoes just 
bunches of them. And you could just take them out whenever you wanted. Uh, it was no big deal. And that was the first time I was introduced to kayaking. And let me tell you, I loved it. We also went whitewater rafting that week. And so, like, that was my first time to do that. And I, and I loved being out in the water, the rapids. Uh, kayaking was just amazing. And let me tell you, like, I got hooked on kayaking. Like, I was obsessed. I was all in. Like, this was, this was my new thing. You know, maybe, I don't know, 12, 13, however old I was. Like, this is it. This is what my life is about. Like, kayaking. And so, you know, I start to window shop, like, okay, how much does a, a kayak cost? And, you know, later that year for Christmas, my parents got me a book on kayaking. <laughs> and they also got me this VHS tape of kayak safety, okay? So I didn't have a job, and allowance wasn't really a big thing in my family growing up. So, like, I'm not... I'm not really going to have any, any funds to um, get a kayak, on, a kayak on my own. Um, but long story short, my, my super intense, like, focused uh, interest on kayaking, it eventually fizzled out. Now, to be clear, I'm still really into to watercrafts, okay? Um, that never left me, but certainly it's on, on the back burner. I mean, I, I still don't own any, any boat of any kind, um, you know, but that, that powerful essence of kayaking, that powerful essence, that, that surely did leave, you know. But I wonder, you know, what if I had continual access to kayaking? You know, what if I was able to, you know, get my butt in a boat and had my hands on a paddle and I could just grow up having access to, to kayaking? You know, uh, many things in life, first comes the invitation, you know, we're, we're introduced to something, something is needed to get us to and in through the door, whatever that thing is, but then of course, we need more, we, we, need, we need something deeper that, that keeps drawing us, a, a, a challenge needs to, to be given to us so that we keep moving, so that we keep moving towards a goal or something like that. So what about you? You know, what, what was something that you were really into? Something that just really captivated you. But then, you know, for whatever reason or reasons, it just kind of faded. It, it, it wasn't really grand enough to, to pour your life into. So I think, you know, we can connect some of these thoughts here to our understanding of the gospel. God, is a, God has done something huge in history. God has provided uh, the, the, the means of, of new life by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are justified. We are saved. We're made right with God. This is the power of the gospel. Jesus became who we are so we can become like him. Jesus washes our transgressions away, he absorbs our sin and cleans us up, and so we can enjoy God's presence and, and purity, and it's amazing, the power of the gospel to be at peace with, with God. And then we ask the question, what's next? Now what? We know God saves us, we know how God saves us, 
But why? Is it so we can go to church? Is what we're doing right now the purpose that goes along with the gospel? Let me tell you, I hope not. (laughs) After 2,000 years of church history, if, if, if the whole purpose is just to sit here on a Sunday morning, that's actually not something big enough that I want to give my life to. If the purpose of the gospel is just a really good church service that we put on for 90 minutes a day, then maybe sometimes have cake on a Sunday morning, you know, like, like, to be honest, that's not big enough to keep me around. If the purpose of the gospel is so that I can be a good person, well, I don't think that's, that's big enough either. God has done something huge in history, the biggest thing ever. God died for us. He died for me. He died for the world. God restarted the world with the cross and the empty tomb of of Jesus. God has done something big, and we don't want to misunderstand why. And so therefore, today, we are going to consider the gospel through the perspective of God's purpose. And we're we're going to be, um, uh, the first part of this is to uh, walk through the meta-narrative of the Bible. Meta means a level above, and narrative means story. So it's like the story arc of of the Bible. So uh, we're going to be using that perspective today. So we're going to get into story as we can, as we think about purpose, and then we'll end with some uh, some more technical things, some implications of gospel power and purpose. We're going to kind of put those two those two themes together. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the power of the gospel. We're talking about purpose today, and um, at the end of this sermon, we'll, t- we'll put those two together and think about the implications of that. So as we get started, let's take a look at the storyline of the Bible. You may have seen this before. I-, I really hope so. We can break down the story arc of the Bible into four parts. There's creation, there's the fall, then the long story of redemption, and eventually we head to restoration, the restoration of all things, or sometimes we label that as new creation. Creation to new creation. That's the storyline. You can see the arrows there, letting you know, okay, here's here's the flow. Here's the flow. So creation, in Genesis, we find out who God is, we find out who, who we are, why we are, where we are, what we're supposed to be doing. Creator God is king. We're made in the king's image. Uh, we're relational beings. In the beginning, there's harmony and wholeness. And, and uh, God says, here's some jobs for you to do. You know, take care of this place. Uh, pr- pursue this place. Govern the earth on my behalf. Okay, you represent me. And everything in the beginning was very good. But then things weren't good. Something horribly went wrong, and this is what we call the fall. Sin entered the world. We had this loving relationship with God. We had free will. We could make our own decisions, and and ultimately, we chose to make our own decision that was, you know, we chose self-rule and not God's rule. We're usurpers of God's rule and reign. We we decided what's, what's best for us, and what's best for us wasn't what God wanted this, this sin, 
this, this distortion, this self-rule, us defining what is good and evil. You know, that, that's what we did. And, and God banned us from Eden, but he didn't totally, totally kick us out. He said, okay, here's, here's a promise of rescue and hope. Okay. And so then we start into this very long story of redemption. And we meet this family of promise, Abraham and Sarah, right? And we go through the long story of Israel. It, it, you know, this is what the Old Testament is about. And it's filled with characters and events and there's instructions on how to live and there's prophecy and there's worship songs uh, and there's poetry and so forth. It's, it's the long story of Israel. Um, through Israel, what is happening, God is rebuilding, God is restoring humanity's capacity to represent him. That's what Israel got to do. They were set apart to represent God to the nations from which they are separated from. And so at one point in the storyline, we find that the people group of Israel, they're led by this prophet named Samuel. Now Samuel was thinking about retirement, and it's time to um, you know, let someone else take over. And he picked his two sons to co-lead Israel. But here's the thing, his sons were rotten. They were men of poor character, and the people of Israel, they, the, the leaders, the elders, they, they circled up and they said, Samuel, your sons are a joke. Give us a king. Samuel didn't like this, and so he, he prayed about it. And God was like, yeah, I saw this coming. I don't like this either. But you know what? Like They've already been turning away from me. Remember, God is king, and it's like, you know, they're already starting to slip away from, from obeying, obeying me. They're, they're, they're turning away. So God's like, you know what? Just go ahead. Give them what they want. But make sure you warn them what kings can be like. Kings will tax you. They'll send your sons to war. They'll take your best vineyards and your fields. Okay. They, they, they might be really, really nasty, okay? They might put you into forced labor and so on and so on. And so Samuel, he explains all this to, to the elders, and they're like, yeah, 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 give us a king. All the other nations have a king. We want a king. Give us a king. And so they got a king. And so the, the monarchy was, was born. With that being said, remember... God is the true king. And now through the monarchy, and eventually the kingdom split, and, and you know it's a messy storyline, but somehow the, these kings are going to represent the rule of God and, and try to figure things out. But we must remember, God is the true king overall. The king of the cosmos. That's who our God is. As I just said, the, the monarchy... Uh, Split up, we had two different kingdoms, and uh, there were some notable exceptions, some good people, some good kings and queens, uh, but things went from bad to worse. Eventually, they ended up in exile, which is kind of like, you know, besides just kind of disappearing from the earth, exile is like almost the complete opposite of ruling on behalf of God. Like, exile is terrible. That's a terrible situation to find yourself in, Israel. 
They lost their ability to represent the kingship of God. At least, I mean, maybe there was like a, a thread, a thread of hope that they could still represent God. Yet in spite of exile, God loves them, God's in covenant with them. God's covenant is, is revealed through the prophets. And the prophets are sprinkling in these little glimmers of, of hope. For example, in Isaiah chapter 52, there's a Hebrew poem. It reads, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, and proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Why are the feet beautiful? They're beautiful because they carry a message. And what's the message? God's alive. God is ruling. God reigns. Your king is alive. Your king is alive. God has not abandoned his people. And so therefore, even in exile, assembly, lift up your voices. Burst into song. God is alive. God is king. And he is ruling. And so the hope is this. That that the king is coming for his people. The king will return. Okay? The return of the king will be a thing. And he will come and he will rescue, redeem. We get the Messiah figure. the, the, The kingly anointed one is going to show up. Rescue, redemption, salvation. All of these good things. We're getting excited about it. And then we get to the the New Testament. And we find out uh, that the good news, now repackaged as as gospel, that's what that word means, good news, a good announcement. No, it's, it's packaged like this. The reign of God, or the kingdom of God, is is here. It's arriving. Okay? The the long wait, and trust me, it was long. Generations upon generations. We're waiting. When is God going to show up? And then we get to the New Testament. We crack open those gospel accounts. And we hear the reign of God is breaking in. It is here. It is arriving. So therefore, make the turns you need to make. And really trust in this good news. And so God's rule is arriving. And not only that, it is embodied in this person from Nazareth named Jesus. The kingly anointed one, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. Jesus is the true representative of this kingdom. He's not just the true representative. He he is the king himself. And the king heals and he trains people and he teaches, hey, this is what God's kingdom looks like. And he often does this through parables. And the kingdom of God, it looks upside down compared to the rest of the kingdoms that that we see in our lives. The first or last. Love and pray for your enemies. Forgive. Forgive people. Jesus said some radical things. Now, if this message of Jesus being king got loud enough, certainly... That's going to clash with Rome. Rome is famous for, you know, crushing rebellions. You know, they're not afraid to obliterate you. 
All right. And they use the cross to do that, to send a message. Hey, we're Rome. We're so okay at destroying you. Okay? Like, it's not going to, we're not going to break a sweat. We're not going to blink. Okay? We will crush you. But that's not what the gospel accounts focus on. Not, not the clash with Rome. The main focus in the gospel accounts is actually Jesus clashing with the religious leaders. The religious leaders rejected this notion that, that Jesus was, was king. In Luke chapter 19, at the end of Jesus' ministry, we actually see the king return to Jerusalem. Not on a chariot. He's not carried uh, on, a, on a litter. Um, he's not riding on this majestic, powerful white stallion that's surrounded by soldiers. The king humbly rides into the city on a donkey's colt, and he's cheered on by commoners. Now, in the context of what royalty looks like in the first century, you know, like this, this is not it, okay? And it's, it's just clear that, that this king's entrance, it does look upside down compared to the kingdoms of the world. So in this scene on Palm Sunday, the king is riding in. Whatever Old Testament imagination that they have about God being king and, and bringing rescue, some of them that day were, were able to respond with celebration. All right? and, and it's Palm Sunday. We, we celebrate this. We, we think about this. They were crying out, Hosanna. Kind of means like save. Um, you can think of it as like a hooray. Hurrah, hooray. Hosanna. It's a shout for joy. Save, save, save. Hosanna, Hosanna. And they were all about it. That's part of the story. Waving palm branches, getting all excited, throwing their cloaks on the ground. But you know what? As Luke tells the story, as Jesus was approaching the city, do you know what he was doing? He was weeping over it. As Jesus approached the city, he was weeping over it. Why? Because God the King is returning just as it was promised. And actually, I mean, the city, they're still just missing it. Altogether, on the whole, they're going to miss it completely. Jesus said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. They're actually going to miss Jesus as the true king. And we definitely see that. That's proven true in just a couple days later on Good Friday. As the week unfolds and a lot happens through the week, there's actually a lot of material in our gospel accounts that really just take place in the last couple days of Jesus' life. But it leads to Jesus' crucifixion. That's what we call Good Friday. The king is raised up, not to a throne, but on a cross. A crown of thorns is pierced into his brow. This notice, or this plaque, was, was, a, was on the cross. It was fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And it was written in Greek and Latin and Hebrew, the three common languages of the day. Nailed to the cross, every breath, that Jesus needed to take 
He had a push-up on nailed feet. How beautiful are the feet of the one who declared the good news of redemption. And so the king was crucified. The king was buried. But on the third day, he rose to new life, resurrection life. The king walked out of his grave in complete victory over sin and death. And that's what we'll celebrate, Lord willing, next Sunday. The victory of Jesus. That our king is alive. Our king is alive. And so in this long story of redemption, we see that the king went low. He became like us so that we can become like him. And again, there is power in this good news. It is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes, regardless of your background. We are saved from death and darkness. And the power of the gospel, it's, it's, it's just something that's it's, it's amazing. Sometimes it's hard to articulate. But the power of the gospel, it... Like this, this exchange happens. We're, we're transferred. We're redeemed from death to life. The king loves us. And as it says in Romans, we are more than conquerors. But the story isn't over yet. Because we're headed to <laughs> restoration or new creation. The king will someday uh, reconcile, restore all things back to himself. We see that in Revelation 21 and 22. The king is restoring, making all things uh, new again. And and that is good news. And so while we're still in the redemption plot line, you know, we actually start to, you know, because of Easter, we start to kind of backfill a little bit. This, This restoration starts to happen. And it's starts to happen inside of us and we're, we're changed and we grow and we transform and we grow into the image of God, right? So, so we're, we're, in, we're still in the redemption storyline, but we are headed to the restoration of all things. And so now, let us return to a previous question that, that we stated. What's the purpose? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of God going through all of that. Again, it's got to be something bigger than just a Sunday morning experience, right? To borrow from uh, a discipling coach that I sit under, his name's Cesar Kalinowski. He says, setting up chairs, doing pancake breakfast, and putting on a, a good church service, even if it's thousands of people once a week, that's not big enough for the other six days. So the gospel, is it big enough to restore you? And I believe all of you would say, yes, you know, we're we're trusting in God for our atonement. So yes, the gospel is is big enough to restore me. Now let's just crank that up a little bit. Is the gospel good news for our families? Is the gospel good news for Marriages, families. What about my kickball league? My workplace? What about my school district? What about my city? Right? Is the gospel big enough for my city? And that's, that's when we start to be like, yeah, like, 
That's a big gospel. Can the gospel transform Philadelphia? Is that, is that something to give my, my life to? Is that something big enough? Is that a big story for me to, to, to pour my life into? And it's like, yes, that's, now we're talking. Yes, the king has this restoration project going on, and it includes the whole world. So yeah, give me the book. Give me the video. Give me the boat. Give me the paddle. Like, let's do this. Let's do this. Okay? And, and what is Jesus' plan to get us to restoration? What do you guys think? Call it out. What, what is Jesus' strategy? What is Jesus' plan? What do you think? Worldwide Christendom. Worldwide Christendom? What's the strategy? One soul at a time. Saving humanity. Saving. Glorifying. Glorifying. Right. What was the one thing that Jesus told his followers to do? Make disciples of all Discipleship? Is that what you said? Yeah, discipleship. Yes. Make disciples. This is the plan. This is the strategy. Okay? Other things might file into place as a natural outcome, but it's make disciples. The strategy is to release Jesus representatives, more and more Jesus disciples, more and more Jesus representatives, these these missionary servants to all the nooks and crannies of life in this world. Actually, I got excited this morning. In my devotions, it actually was talking about this topic. It it said, it just reminded us that that in my devotional, that Jesus didn't want us to be believers. Jesus didn't just want us to be believers, but he also wanted us to be participants. Like, like, The power of the gospel makes us believers. But then the purpose of the gospel, it's like, well, yeah, go go be a disciple. Go represent Jesus well. Okay? A disciple is one who is actively participating in the life and the lessons of of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to show you something. I don't want you to get too focused on it. It's just um, just to uh, take the conversation a little bit further this morning. A couple people, uh, different people, kind of throw this together. There's seven pillars of culture. Maybe they, they tweak them or call them something different. Maybe you can add or take away some of these areas. Uh, but essentially, you know, the seven pillars of culture. There's family, education, business, media, arts, healthcare, government. And then sometimes it's listed as religion or service organizations, and that, that kind of covers the seven main areas of, of culture and society. And so when we understand the power and the purpose of, of the gospel, we start to see that the gospel releases us into this bigger calling to be Jesus-shaped people wherever we find ourselves in. 
And so do you know what this means? Yeah, we're, we're not passive observers. But yes and amen, we need Jesus-shaped teachers. And Jesus-shaped administrators and, and managers and, and journalists and media content makers and filmmakers. We, we need Jesus-shaped healthcare workers. Jesus-shaped postmen and government workers. Social workers. You guys get this? Like, like go and make disciples. Okay? Wherever you go, represent Jesus. Be a carrier of the good news. And your feet are going to be beautiful for it. The king is present in our lives. And in discipleship, you know, we relearn what it means to represent the king. And it's, it's through the Spirit's work. You know, our capacity to do so, it, it grows as we go more and more. And, and we go fill the earth with disciples. And to be clear, you know, it's not through domination, control, manipulation. And we don't rely on these structures and systems to get this done. Whether we're here in America or in China or Brazil or Norway, wherever we are, the job remains the same. From here to the ends of the earth and everywhere in between, we go out and we make disciples. And again, how beautiful are the disciples of those who bring good news. And so now as we get to the last section of this, this message, let me just summarize. The power of the gospel teaches us how we've been saved. The purpose of the gospel teaches us why we're saved. We, we see that, that restoration trajectory that we're on. Now, we need to understand both the power and the purpose of the gospel together. And so I cross them together in what forms, we call this a matrix, but you can see there's four quadrants that are formed. And so there's so much to chew on. This is just going to be a taster, but I'm just going to show you the four different quadrants here as we think about power and purpose, okay? So now we're getting a little technical, but it's so important. And I'll start with the first one. It's the easiest one. You know, when we have a really unclear understanding of gospel power and purpose, you know. When, when things are just so vague and we're so unsure of what, what the gospel's for, why, how, what, and all of that, a few different things could kind of come out of that. Maybe, maybe it's an infant faith, or, or perhaps no faith at all. It could be a really bored faith, or a confused faith. Perhaps somebody has told you what to think, what to say, how to behave. You kind of just go with the flow so that, so that you fit in. Okay? So low power, low purpose. Just a very, very vague understanding of the gospel. The second blend of gospel understanding is, let's say you, you have a very super high like clarity on the power of the gospel, but you're very vague on purpose. Right? This could be a type of, um, you know, it, we get very decision focused, like decision oriented. Uh, you know, that's our understanding of the gospel. It's get, get them to make the decision, make the decision. It's all about the method of persuasion. 
but there could be a kind of emptiness. And this is all theoretical, of course, right? You know, it's kind of like, hey, come taste and see that the Lord is good, but then, you know, we're not really going to give you a paddle so that you can go explore deeper and deeper. And this, this understanding of the gospel here, where it's high on power and low on purpose, it's a gospel understanding that kind of starts and ends with me. Jesus loves me. Jesus saves me. I have decided to follow Jesus. But then perhaps other than being afraid of, of not being able to go to heaven someday, you know, I'm kind of fuzzy on, on what's next or, or why. You know, I'm missing the invite to go deeper. To this, this invite into this story that the king has set in motion. You know, we, we kind of miss some of that. The third type of understanding is when we have a high focus on purpose, but we're really vague on, on power. We kind of just checked out on power. Okay? And this in this quadrant here. It's like we're all about restoration. We love good works. We love social action and seeing good changes in society, etc. But don't really ask me to talk about Jesus. And so theoretically, being high on purpose and low on power, that can end up into a works-based religion. Maybe even Christless. It's like the king is missing from kingdom work. Right? And a good point to share is any purpose that is devoid of power, that's going to lead you into frustration and burnout. That, that is going to run you into the ground. If we set out to be on a mission, but we approach that mission without the power of God, you're going to get yourself in trouble. All right, so where do we want to be, folks? Our gospel understanding, we want it to be rich and thick, like a, like a really nice dessert. <laughs> rich and thick understanding of both gospel power and gospel purpose. This is where we want to be. You're not just reading about the boat. You are in the boat and you are paddling and you're paddling well. You understand how you got saved you understand why you got saved. You understand your gospel identity. You understand grace and mercy. You understand that there's good news for your life. You get to share good news. You understand that there is a restoration project to join in. God has set the world in a new motion and you get to join in in light of the cross and empty tomb. You're not me focused, but you're others focused and you're going to take others with you. And you're going to travel this path of restoration and disciple-making. And you know, when you get a bunch of people committed to, to purpose and power, a bunch of Jesus people committed to a restoration project, yeah, that's what we call mission. What motivated the early church to just keep on going on on mission? Well, it was the power and purpose of the gospel. What keeps us going as a church? It's the power and purpose of the gospel. And so as we end here today, of these four blends of gospel understanding, which one do you think you find yourself in? 
personally, I've, I've seen myself all, plotting all over this, this matrix here. Different, different experiences in the past, etc. I, I, I can see how that's played out in my life. Now I just want to tell you, if you want to move to that upper quadrant there, if you want to move to this quadrant of, of like, you have a full understanding of gospel power and gospel purpose, and you're less, you, if you want that, the pathway is, is through discipleship. It's, it's learning with others, hashing these things out, continuing to grow, continuing to walk with Jesus. And I'd be happy to talk with any of you if you're like, yeah, you know what? I want more. I think I'm ready for the next step. Come and talk. Let's, let's set something up. And one last thing for today. As you prepare for Easter, of all the things you heard today, what might be one thing that God wants, wants you to focus on this week? There's power in the gospel. There's purpose in the gospel. Let's pray.